Hi, everybody. It's Kirk and uh, Josh Bow. We're coming to you with a mid-afternoon edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. We're coming today to preview the Mavericks Clippers series. The first game starts Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. It is the first Dallas Mavericks playoff game since April of 2016. You'd think we would be very excited about this. And I think in terms of a a big picture look at things, we are really thrilled that the Mavericks are back in the playoffs. This particular series, though, is not the one I had wished for. Uh, And I'm a little concerned. And I think we should just sort of jump right in into the why. So the Dallas Mavericks, I believe, are the they're definitely the number one ranked offense, you know, essentially all time in terms of historical numbers and like 17 or 18 in terms of defensive rating, whereas the Clippers, and if you'd believe this, the Clippers are the number two offense in the league and and the number five defense. So this is going to be very much a matchup of, of styles making fights. And if the Mavericks expect to make any sort of dent in what they're going to, to do in this, you know, kind of uphill battle with the Clippers, I think it's going to be because the, you know they've been holding back on some things. So so let's talk some some specifics first before we get into kind of the the huge you know big picture analysis about what this means for the Mavericks. So Josh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it is definitely an interesting series because, like you said, it is the first first playoff game since April of 2016, and naturally that is means. The fan base is very excited and fired up about Mavericks returning to the playoffs with their one-two all-star punch, basically. Uh, and and despite that, they're playing the team that was engineered to, to destroy this team, which is a <laughs> bummer. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we'll get into the big picture stuff, I think, later. Right now, we can talk about just, like, the actual basketball that's going to be played and, and what needs to happen for the Mavericks to win and what they need to do. And to be honest, I think this is going to be a series that this is going to be like the Luca needs help series. Not saying that Luca is not going to be able to carry his weight, but just that I think with the Clippers having Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and we've seen that they're one of the few teams that can make him look, you know, slightly more mortal than other teams do. And he still puts up like terrific numbers despite that, because that's how great he is. So I think if the Mavericks really want to have a chance to make this competitive and to have even the chance of winning, this has to be the series where Chris Dops, Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, all those guys have to have good series. Uh, mm-hmm. Or they at least all have to average out to like, if, all, if you combine them all together, they need to be shooting well. And contributing well because I think Luke, the way the, the so much attention that the Clippers are going to give Luca and the way they're going to guard him and the way they're going to be physical with him and the way they're going to guard him very tight, I think Luca is going to be able to find players and he's going to create some opportunities. It might not be scoring for himself, but it, it, it'll be for others. So I think if the other guys on the floor sharing the floor with Luca can just hit some shots and make some contributions, you know, on the, the defensive end of the floor, if possible, uh, that's where they really, that's where they, like, that's where they have to win this series, or that's where they have to make it competitive. Because the Clippers are extremely deep as well, which presents another problem. Like, even their role players, you know, it's not like it's Kawhi and Paul George and then a, and a bunch of scraps. Like, they're 
extremely well-rounded so the it's good the mavericks just have their work cut out for them but i think if if the mavericks can hit shots based off lucas creation because i think he's gonna find some open players with all the attention he gets that's i think that's the key so i'm i've been i've listened to a number of podcasts i i've had my thinking influenced in a number of ways but when you simply just scroll down the roster page for the clippers they are built in a way that makes there there's a reason they're number two team. I think they should be, you know, probably the, the the second best team in terms of of teams that are likely to win the title. But when you look at how they're built, they're just guys that are long. The Clippers have so much length. And you know, one thing we we, we didn't even talk about during the, the first bubble game because it didn't come up. You got Paul George and you got Kawhi Leonard. That's a given. They have a third guy that we didn't even mention who ate the Mavericks alive in the two games that he played. And it's Marcus Morris Sr., who is 6'8 yeah. and 220 pounds. And you just scroll through these guys' height and weight dimensions. They have a ton of guys between 6'4 and 6'9. And that sort of length is is what it's the only real kryptonite to Luca at the moment because you know the when these guys are able to clog the clog the passing lanes just by existing I'm a little concerned about his ability to to get off some of these passes that he's so good at because the they're just they 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 make thing they make the precision level a, a little more difficult for what Luca needs to do so I'm I'm sure he will get his, but I, I'm a, I'm also sort of just curious about like schematically what Carlisle has up his sleeve, because we've we've hinted at this during our bubble podcasts, and well, shoot, I may have just said it, but I don't remember. I think that the Mavericks came into the bubble very much expecting to play the Clippers, and when they lost to the Rockets in that first game, that nailed in their course even though they did have other opportunities to get out of seven or, you know, do something to affect the seedings to where they could have played someone else. And I, I'm just going to be very interested to see what sort of schematic things Carlisle has freed up because a lot of the, the, the things that Dallas runs are to get different mismatches or to put players in specific circumstances. And the way the Clippers are built defensively sort of negates a lot of what, of what makes the Mavericks offense so interesting. Yeah, and when you have two of the top five wing defenders in the entire league, that 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 kind of fuels it. But then, like you said, it, it's it's past George, it's past Leonard, it's it's uh, Marcus Morris, it's it's Montrez Harrell, it's Jeff Green, Patrick Patterson, you know, not uh, Patrick Beverly, Landry Shamit, not all these guys you would say individually are stout defenders, but they're all big for their position for the most part which just makes it you know makes it difficult like you said i'm curious as well to see what kind of scheme changes happen because that's kind of carlisle's bread and butter is Mm -hmm. we know him he's the warlock right that's his nickname we know him as the guy that can pull the strings and get more out of a roster uh than is expected and we've obviously seen some of that this season because you know both me and you were probably at most positive about this roster thought that they would you know win between 43 45 games and i think if the mavericks played a full normal season they would have probably eclipsed that i think uh 
and they definitely showed us a lot more than we thought. And, you know, a lot of these role guys like Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. and even Seth Curry a little bit, although he's been kind of up and down. You know, Carlisle can get a lot out of guys and more more than we probably would expect. So does that mean they change up some offense that, that we haven't seen too much of? Does that mean that defensively they change things up a little bit? Uh, does it mean the rotations and lineups are going to look drastically different than what we've seen in the bubble? I would guess yes. And I think we saw some previews of that with, you know, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist getting some burn toward the end of the bubble. I, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get thrown some minutes just to see what he can do because they just don't have a lot of wing depth to counteract what the Clippers can do on that, in that side of the floor. Uh, but in terms of offense, you know, their bread and butter is, you know, spread pick and roll and using pick and roll with Kristaps and using pick and roll with Kleba. The thing that I think is going to be that's really going to show up in this series, I think, is the fact that they don't, you know, we can say what we want about Dwight Powell and defensively what he brings, but his offensive, you know, identity that he gave this team in terms of having a true dive man that, that, that threatens a defense and forces a defense to react and move, I think is going to be critical. And I wonder if the thing Carlisle does is maybe like, Hey, let's get some more Kristaps rolling. Let's get some more Kleba rolling. Cause that's been something I've noticed in the bubble is they just desperately miss that dive man. Yeah. And when you saw, you know, Luca's best, you know, that crazy Luca assist that sealed the game against the bucks. It was not a Kleba pick and pop. It was Kleba rolling to the rim, which he's, not too bad at, not as good as Dwight Powell, obviously, but when he does it, he's pretty good. So I wonder if that's a card he plays, telling Kleba, telling Przingis, being like, hey, we're going to roll a little bit more. We're going to mix this up more. We're not just going to pick and pop all series because they really miss that dive element to the rim uh, when Luke is in that situation. So when I talked to Rob Mahoney Friday, we talked a lot about KP's growth and development and and how he fits and sort of the comfort level with which he has settled into in Dallas. And I, I had been making a comment for a great chunk of the season that I cannot wait until somebody teaches Chris Tops how to set a screen. <laughs> and I don't have any data to back this, but I feel that he was a lot more effective in these bubble games. And he upped his scoring average quite a bit compared to his regular season because he was doing some things in the pick and roll, not just the setting of screens, but the decisions on where to go and when were a lot more uh, difficult to predict because he's a guy who likes to pick and pop. Like that is what he wants, but he did a lot of, of, you know, rolling to the basket, rolling to the mid post to a certain degree, getting the ball in different situations. And I suspect if the Mavericks are going to have, games you know the the one hopefully two and you know in a great world four games where they go out and bury the clippers it's not going to be luca who who necessarily leads them there it's going to be porzingis in, in my opinion because he his greatest asset is still the fact that he's seven foot three and the clippers don't really have anyone who can match with him height wise out of outside of zubak they're going to be relying on sort of his achilles heel in that he likes to post up smaller guys and make post moves, I suspect. But when KP faces up, it doesn't matter who is in front of him. It, 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 he, he's got such great le- uh, uh, you know, um, touch on his jumper, and when he faces up in his square, he's really dangerous from that sort of position. It's just he doesn't go to that that much. 
So if the Mavericks can get him in some of these advantageous positions, even if it's against a Kawhi Leonard or a a Paul George, I'm going to be interested to see how he plays, what he does, because it's going to be a good measuring stick for years to come. I mean, I've mentioned that he's ahead of pace compared to what I had hoped for a number of times. And so it's going to be, you know, kind of one of these series where it's going to be give and take where I'm sure we're going to see some great play from both Luca and Porzingis, but it's also going to be really uh, a measuring stick to see just how far they need to go because this is the kind of team they're going to have to be if they want to advance in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I think Kristaps to me is the key to the series, but you know, he is, we kind of know what Luca, Luca is going to show up. And uh, mm-hmm. I think even if Lucas struggles with Kawhi and Paul George in terms of, you know, efficiency or shooting, I think Luca is going to get his. And I think he has, you know, he's played in a bunch of big games in Europe before. So I don't think the bright lights of a playoff scenario is going to damper him too much. You know, he's not going to be puppy eyed going out onto the floor. Like he's going to, I think he's going to be fine. And as fine as he can be going against, the, uh, you know, a defensive tandem like, like George and Leonard are. So it's really, it's Przingis. You look, like you said, you look at the Clippers roster, they, they have no one to count. Like every other position the Mavericks have, whether it's Luka, Hardaway, you know, the wings, the guards, the Clippers have some sort of defensive stalwart or two to throw at that and try to smother the fire. Uh, with Przingis, they they have nothing like that at all. Like mm-hmm. Zubats uh, is a solid quality player and he's great for them and what he does. But let's be honest, he is not someone that is going to want to chase Kristaps 26 feet from the basket. He's just not, that's just not what he does. And Montrose Harrell might be a little bit better equipped to do that, but he's still, that's still not what they want him to do. And they want those guys guarding the basket. They want to use Kawhi and and Paul George to kind of filter funnel guys into there or shut them down on their own and have Harrell and Zubats be kind of the last line of defense if they need it. They don't want those guys running around out, out, out the three-point line. And Harrell has not played – you know, Harrell, I think, came – you know, he had to leave the bubble and then came to the bubble late. So, you know, his conditioning could be called – could be a factor, especially yeah. if he's guarding Przingis and guarding all these spread pick and rolls and having to – He can't defend anybody. He's just, a, he's just a monster on the boards. He's an energy guy. I love him as a player, but I don't think he's not going to be he he's not going to be a factor in this series. I really don't think he is. Just Whoa, for, for those yeah. reasons, <laughs> I think he will. I mean, he I mean, hasn't he killed them in, in the? In he the has, game? but he's not played basketball in thirty something days. Yeah, and that's that's, that could be a, that that's could be what a... that's more it more than his skill. It's I just don't think he's going to be ready. I was David David Thorpe of all people. I was listening to him on a podcast, and he just said, "You know, it was silly of anybody to expect some of this from Zion coming to the bubble." And he said the same thing about Harold. And I just I think that it you know he'll round into form, and maybe the Mavericks are the appetizer for that. But okay. I I just I don't know. It, it, I'm sure he'll be sort of effective, but again they you know he's their seventh man and so like we're really kind of splitting yeah yeah and like i said yeah like it's even regardless like it's it's up to Przingis. like you know we saw in the game the one game in the bubble he played against them you know 39 and 5 you know hitting three three pointers i know the mavericks didn't really get too competitive in the fourth quarter but that's the potential Przingis brings. And it's the one thing the Clippers just, they don't have an immediate like, okay, let's do this to stop it. And I think something that's going to be really important for Przingis is not only, like you said, 
not trying to do post-ups against these guys because you really don't want him posting up Kawhi Leonard. You don't want him posting up Paul George. You know, the Clippers, smaller guys are pretty stout uh, defensively, so you just don't want them him to do that. The face-up game is great, but I think another key, you know, he had five assists in that last Clippers game in the bubble. I wonder, his passing might be really crucial because I wonder how the, the Clippers might start throwing more guys at that pick and roll. And they might just be like, you know, when Przingis catches it off a of pick and pop or if he kind of rolls into the short post, like they might try to throw a couple of guys at him. And I wonder, he might need to be some, not necessarily a playmaker, but he's going to have to make the right play. Cause I really think that as the series goes on, if it, you know, if it does go on, you know, more than four or five games, as the games continue, I think the Clippers are going to more and more feel like anybody but Luca and Przingis. Like, I think they're going to dare Hardaway Jr., Curry, Finney Smith, Kleba. They're going. Their defense, I think, is going to be like, let's get those guys shots. Let's not let let Luca. Let's not let KP get shots as well as we can. You know, those players are so good, they're going to get shots anyway. But I really think how Przingis can make the right read off the catch in these pick and roll situations is going to be really crucial. What other players on offense are you interested in seeing how they perform? I'm looking up some 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 data right now, and so I'm interested to hear what you think about essentially the rest of the top, let's just say five or six guys. <sighs> I mean, it's really, it's the same thing we've been talking about in the bubble. Like, is Hardaway Jr., you know, Hardaway Jr., Curry, Finney Smith, Kleba, are they going to shoot? You know, they have to combine to shoot an average of 40% from three if the Mavericks want to make this like a six or seven game series or a series that they could potentially win. Like, that's it. Like, if they struggle from from deep, they don't have a chance, uh, mm-hmm. no matter how good Luka and no matter how good KP are. KP and Luka could average 30, 30 something points each. And if those four or five guys are shooting 28% from three collectively, it's not going to matter. Um, yeah. I think that's that's the thing. And I'm very curious to see not only what Hardaway Jr. does as a spot-up shooter, but I'm curious to see what he does outside of those situations because I think there's a little bit more to his game that he has shown. Um, that some of the numbers, like I think he's in like the 78th percentile in pick-and-roll scoring, ball handler scoring, which if I, you know, if you, if you, if I didn't look that up and some person told me that on the street, I'd be like, you're, you're lying. Um, so like he has something there, you know, Seth Curry has really good pick and roll ball handler scoring numbers as well. Um, so I'm very curious to see like what, what Hardaway Jr. And what Curry can do outside of spot up situations. Um, I think the last couple of games for Hardaway in the bubble, he looked really comfortable running a pick and roll and getting like a nice 20, 18 to 20 footer. And he, he looked really comfortable knocking that down. Uh, and we got to see something like, we haven't seen anything really from Seth outside of like a couple of okay to decent games. Uh, he's real like that. He's rested a lot. He's had mm-hmm. that nagging leg injury. They got to get, he has to be good. Like they, they can't get the wishy-washy Seth we've seen in the bubble. They got to get good Seth uh, in this series. Yeah. I I was looking up specifically how Tim Hardaway juniors played and compared to a season averages, he's off by a pretty, by yep. a statistically significant margin. I mean, he's shooting 33% from three on the same, on essentially the same volume, which is a, a drop from, uh, I want to say just under 40. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And you know, seven percent drop is really it's yeah, he was he was he's at he's at thirty-nine point eight percent for the year. He was above forty before he came to the bubble. I remember that. And so he's he's been he just hasn't been the player that he was in the regular season. Now that's not a black mark against him or anything. He he's an outstanding like he's been way better than we could have hoped for. Um and is a big reason why they are where they are now. So it's it's if he can shake off any of the rust or have one or two big games and put a little more, I don't know, just put a little more into the basket. I'm going to be he's he's going to be a, a key reason why they why they succeed on the offensive end because the Clippers in three games, their offensive rating against the Mavericks is a hundred or uh, the Mavericks put up an offensive rating of a hundred against the Clippers, which is well off their season average of like one fifteen point five. I think is what it ended yeah. up being. That's not so, good then. Right. And, and so it, it's, it's really just, it really just comes down to shot making for the rest of these guys. A lot of the, the rest of the Mavericks roster kind of rounded into form, um, in terms of their shooting, you know, Maxi Kleba has played pretty well the last several games. Dorian Finney-Smith has really played lights out um, after that, that Bucks game was just like a really, like a nice launch pad for him. So I'm going to be interested and hopeful to see if he can, can continue to, to play well. I do hope he doesn't dribble against the Clippers. Um, (laughs) The Clippers are going to, they're going to, they're going to try to put him in those situations as much. Right. (laughs) So I'm not really looking, not really looking forward to, to that. And, and that's, that's just kind of where it goes. And, you know, the, the Mavericks will play more than these top six because they have to, but we're going to see some pretty hefty minutes totals from guys who don't necessarily play those minutes. Uh, And, and it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting to see on the offensive end. Now defensively is where we should be, very concerned. Uh, I heard a stat on a podcast. I think it was the Zach Lothorpe one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I pulled up the numbers since the all-star break. So February 17th to today, here are the uh, shooting numbers for the, the various Clippers from distance. Patrick Beverly is shooting 2.73s a game at 53.3%. Jamichael Green is shooting just under four threes a game at 47%. Paul George is shooting seven threes a game and hitting 47%. Patrick Patterson is shooting just under three at 45%. Reggie Jackson is shooting just under four at 41%. And Kawhi Leonard is at just under six threes a game at 39%. Sweet Lou Williams is at uh, just under four threes a game at 36.7%. This, and that's a list, and I wanted to read it to you, and I have a longer, longer point I wanted to make. We've been kind of very confused and harp, you know, harping on the Mavericks drop coverage, and we've done it all season. I finally got a really good explanation, and you know, it's mainly me asking somebody that could explain it in English from Rob Mahoney the other day, and he said what the Mavericks are doing and what a lot of teams do are essentially daring you to beat the percentages because over the long run, shooting those threes off of dribbles and in these interesting situations, these these sort of semi-challenged situations should work out in your favor. But when you're playing against elite, elite, elite shooters, it does not work, particularly when the elite shooter is like a Dame Lillard caliber 
who's just able to hit from all over the place. And that is where I'm very concerned about what Dallas brings to the table against the Clippers because they will dare the Clippers to beat them from mid-range and from three-point land, and they have. So I don't know what they do differently. Yeah, um, hope Dorian Finney-Smith has like a lot of ice packs and Aleve and aspirin in his room because <laughs> he is going to be, it is going to be a monumental ask of him this series because as we've said, he is really the only reliable defensive player on the wing that this team has. Um, he's the only 3 and D guy on the roster and the Clippers have like the two apex with Leonard and George. And I think that, you know, they'll put, they'll put Finney Smith on one and whoever doesn't, isn't being guarded by him, you know, Leonard or George, they're going to, they're going to try to feast and they're going to try to go to work. And even if they're being guarded by Finney Smith, you know, he's not Finney Smith has great uh, effort and he has great intangibles and he has great instincts in terms of, what he's trying to do and trying to make the right play on the defensive end, but there's only so much you could do against Kawhi Leonard, who was basically the last playoffs, like basically reincarnated MJ for, for yeah. all intents and purposes. I mean, he was unbelievable. He was the best player in the league in the, when he was in the playoffs last year. Uh, so I don't know. And, and you talk about mid range, Kawhi Leonard has no problem working in the mid range and, and taking those shots. If that's what the Mavericks want to give him, you know, Lou Williams is the exact same. So is Paul George. So is Marcus Morris. It's kind of funny. These guys don't mind shooting these those quote-unquote inefficient shots. So we'll see what that looks like and see if the Mavericks have to mix things up a little bit. But just looking at the Mavs roster, it's like if, even if they just had Leonard or just had George, just one of them, we would still be having these questions. And like with two of them, I just don't. It's just it's just hard. You just look at the roster and you don't know what to do. You you got to put Tim Hardaway Jr. on one of them, which is not what you want to do. This is where you know if Jess and Jackson would have worked out the way you, in in some best case scenario, that's what you kind of hope. But you know that right. clearly hasn't worked out, and that's why I think I mean he's not going to swing the series or be like a hero or a savior, but they're going to give Michael Kidd Gilchrist a chance because he's the only guy on the roster outside of Finney Smith that can realistically match up with one of these two guys and, and do something. I don't know if he will, but they're going to have to try, right? Like uh, they they just don't have much of a choice. Um, And this is, you know, we'll get into like big picture about how the Mavericks roster is built, but you know, the Clippers kind of, make you have like some come to Jesus moments with this roster because the Mavericks are just starved at the wing for impact players. You know, they've got Finney Smith who's worked out wonderfully, but Justin Jackson didn't hit. They had to sign Michael K. Gilchrist, you know, DeLon Wright is a guard. You don't want him guarding wings Hardaway jr. You know, you don't necessarily want him guarding six, six, seven, six, eight scores as well. He's just not equipped to do that. And then everyone else on your roster is, is a big or, or guard or Luca who's, you know, mm-hmm. is not, you know, not an impact defender. He'll, he'll hustle a little bit, but you know, he's not your, he's not your stopper. And I don't think that's, that's not <sighs> besmirching him. You know, that's just not what he is. Uh, yeah. So I'm just, I just don't know. They just, they just don't have enough quality defenders, I think to, to match up. And that's why the offense is so important. They got to outscore him this series if they want to, if they want to win. Well, and and what you what you hope for for the Mavs is you know basketball is played one game at a time. So when I've been reading some season long numbers, 
what you hope for is you hope for some, you know, defensive quirks from Carlisle that pair up with some slight shooting regressions from particular Clippers players. And you hope that the Mavericks can get on a hot streak because when they get going offensively, it's kind of hard to stop though. Defensively is where they, they usually tend to let teams right back in it. I, I think that there's a path to, to some victories I could see a a a you know four to two type series fairly easily. To be honest with you, it's it's getting anything like it's like four wins for me does not seem like a it seems like a very far out there outcome. I'm not going to say it's impossible because you know Luka Doncic is one of the best basketball players in the universe, and and it, you know the, this guy loves big moments. So I, I'm really hoping for some sort of X factor senses in, in some degrees, but the path on paper is particularly, it's, it's just tough. And, and that's, that's kind of where we come out to when we're looking at like how the series matches up. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And, and I like your point about, you know, you're look, we're looking at season long numbers and then this is going to be decided and, at max seven games and things can be funky in a smaller sample size. And you look at the two, the Clippers played the Mavericks three times in two of the games. So the two non bubble games, the Clippers did not have good offensive games. Uh, the first game they shot 42% from the floor, 33% from three. Uh, the second game they shot 37% from the floor, 31% from three. So yeah. there's, there's, but the, and then the, the inverse of that is the Mavericks had crap offensive games. So, like you said, if role players can hit, you know, guy, you know, role players are role players for for a reason, and the Clippers rely on a lot of role players too, with Patrick yep. Beverly and Patrick Patterson and Marcus Morris and Lou Williams. You know, those guys can get cold for a couple of games, regardless of what the Mavericks do uh, on their side of the ball. So. Like you said, if if the Mavericks can give them something, if the Clippers can just get a little out of their comfort zone, it wouldn't be a shocker to see them struggle to shoot the ball for a couple of games in this series, and that's where the Mavericks take advantage. So, yeah, we'll see. It's I'm with you in that. I'm I'm very. It's very hard for me to see a, a path for this series to go more than six games. Um, but stranger things have happened, and we've watched stranger things happen with in Mavericks playoff past that i don't want to rain on anyone's parade who wants to who wants to have hope uh, because honestly you know this is a hell of a lot better than, than what we were thinking about the mavericks four years ago so uh yeah i'm just ready to i'm just so curious to see what happens and how this mavericks team can respond to what is basically the team that was designed to beat them and that'll be like just really interesting from just an intangible standpoint. And uh, I'm just, I want to see how they respond to a challenge like this. Okay. We're going to be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. So hold on tight. Hello everybody. Thanks for uh, coming back and listening to us. I know this is a bit of a long one, but Josh and I have a lot to say heading into this playoffs. So like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is the first playoff series in, in you know, going back four years. I is so funny reading some of our old coverage. I don't remember the series. My son was a month old. And so like that's in like the dark times in my brain <laughs> where I just I, 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 I did stuff. I went and read it. I remember reading none of it. 
and you know the fact that they got walloped the way they did and such an interesting and weird team it's it puts it puts into perspective where we are right now and and you know if you guys haven't read our preview or if you're you know listening to this as a result of our preview we put in a ton of work into into a written preview that that's on Mavs Moneyball I, I urge you to check it out and when you think about where Dallas has been and where they are in just four and really three seasons, it's kind of incredible that we're even talking about this, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. And it's funny. You talked about the last, where you were the last playoff series. I actually kind of remember it fondly, if only because I believe for that playoff series, we worked with Doyle and Tim and we like did a sponsored watch party at the Granada theater in Dallas, <laughs> which like eight people showed up to, including myself and and my then, I guess she was my girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend. I hadn't even proposed to her yet. My, uh, and a couple other people. And I remember it specifically because I was there for the game that they won game two where Raymond mm-hmm. Felton went crazy and helped them win the game with some really big clutch shots. And then I had a job interview in Austin the next morning. So I literally drove from the Granada theater to Austin where actually my then girlfriend was living and stayed at her apartment that night and <laughs> woke up the next morning. That's Basically, got, I have got, no memory of this. That's no, incredible. I know. Yeah. So I remember oh that series gosh. fondly, but it was also a very, you know, when that series ended, that was like the Dirk the Dirk era is over. Like it, that's mm-hmm. that was a very solemn series. So you're right. Going from that to this in what three basically three seasons it took to get to this point now is it's remarkable. Doesn't happen it doesn't happen a lot. It does not and, happen. And I think the thing is is look at a lot of bad teams in the West and the East and look at their playoff droughts and look at the way they go up and down and are looking for some sort of direction and identity. And you look at what the Mavericks have done while other teams are still kind of floundering about. And that really puts it into perspective. Well, and, and, you know, the Sacramento Kings just missed the playoffs for the 14th straight year. (laughs) Yeah. That's the extreme. Right. And so it's just one of those like contextual things to where you and I, part of why it's, it's very funny, just some behind the scenes stuff. Like, You've now done this for like nine years. You've been a real honest to goodness journalist for, you know, coming out of college. You've done some real grinding the last decade plus. And coming into the season, there's a concerted discussion between you and me and Doyle and Rebecca and some of the older people on the staff about the fact that, like, you know, we are getting older and this is getting harder to do. It's just harder to cover this stuff and do it in a way that's both fun for us as well as being fun, hopefully fun for, for the, the audience. And we, we kind of collectively, you know, made, made a bit of a decision that, you know, we want to keep doing this because we've gone through some crap. You know, we covered some <laughs> really frustrating teams. The Mavericks did make the playoffs, you know, following the championship season, but, Looking back, one day history is not going to be particularly kind to how the Mavericks handled the post-championship era where they made a lot of mistakes and Dirk kept them afloat and Dirk kept them afloat and Dirk kept them afloat until he couldn't anymore. And so the last two years, you know, when you you had the the first Harrison Barnes year, which was just just disappointing struggle. And then the year where they had Dennis Smith Jr. as a rookie, which was actually – in retrospect, a lot of fun. Yep. 
we were building, you know, the Mavs were building towards something and then they went from building towards something to having built something in remarkable time because mm-hmm. they have two of the best, I would say 25 players in the league at this point. That's how confident I am at Chris Tapps. Talk about a swing from, from the beginning of the season. <laughs> and, and that is amazing. And so when we're talking about, you know, in the first half of the podcast, when we're talking like, God, we just don't know how they match up. You look at the roster, blah, 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 blah. I don't mean to kill them. I mean, there's some some things that we've talked about repeatedly that we're going to try to move on from in the sense. It's just the West is so unfair at points. It makes this feel very frustrating uh, because it feels like that that there's just they have such a high entry point for success that I sometimes you know, I don't blame the Mavericks for this. It's just kind of the the way things are. And so I'm really like, I'm trying to really look forward to, to these playoff games, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, if they were in the East, they'd probably be like a four or five seed and we'd be like, so over the moon thrilled, thrilled with their progress. But in the West, they're the seventh seed and in their division, they have Zion and John Morant to deal with for the next 15 years. And you're like, man, son of a bitch. Like, we just got out of Tim Duncan and, and Garnett. The Rockets and Yao Ming and all. It's like, and come Chris on. Weber, Chris, Chris <laughs> Weber Kings. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, yeah. But, so. Yeah, I would say that that with this, with where they're going, is that when you're looking at the Mavericks, big picture wise, this is going to this is going to be pulling the bandaid off in the sense of it's really going. It, it has the the opportunity to expose a lot of their weaknesses, but if we can view that from the lens of where they are on the timeline, they are decidedly ahead of any schedule I had for them. I know a lot of people thought they were going to make the playoffs. It's not what I mean, guys. I don't, I know we got a lot of positive people out there. It's not what I mean, but like the West is just that difficult. So like this to me is almost gravy. Yeah. Same, same for me. Um, and I think it's, you know, like we said, a lot of people probably had the mass peg for the playoffs this year with the, with more positive outlooks. So it's, it's not just about the playoffs, but it's, it's the way they look. It's the way Kristaps looked. It's the way Luca. We're getting twenty-four year old Luca at twenty-one years old, which is just remarkable. And I, every time I watch him play, I keep thinking about what he looks like when he's twenty-five years old, and it's it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, it's getting the positive progression from the the role guys. It's seemingly that they've built into an identity and a vision that will carry them forward um, so long as they kind of stick to that and they understand they're honest with themselves over what upgrades they need and what upgrades they don't. And, you know, that's the stuff that we cannot predict. And, but for right now, you know, they are doing way more than expected in terms of where rebuilds usually take. I mean, good gosh almighty, the, the, the Oklahoma city thunder had like what, like four or five top five picks in a row and it's you know and then and it's they still had like a crappy season and then they had a a playoff series with the eight seed and then they kind of got it going like team it takes time like there's it, it you rarely go from 33 wins to to conference finals you know that's just not how it works so the fact that they are a little bit ahead of schedule as is is just kind of a boon and they just gotta you know, they got to keep their eye on the ball in terms of building for the future, but this will be a good litmus test in terms of where do we stack up against the elite elite uh, of this uh, league and where can we go from here 
what changes do we have to make? What changes do we not have to make? You know, it, it'll, it will only help so long as they take the right lessons, you know, from this, which that's, that's another debate, but uh, it's still a good, it's a fantastic spot to be in. Well, and here's a take that I've been workshopping in my head the last several days. So the Dallas Mavericks played, uh, the Dallas Mavericks finished the season 43 and 32, which the win percentage on that is outstanding compared to a lot of preseason predictions. Um, 538 had the Mavericks winning 45 games, and that was pretty much the highest that I saw. Most player, most teams had them, uh, most predictions had them around 500. So the fact that they were 11 games over 500 is pretty astounding. And now when you counter that to the fact that they played 41 clutch games and they were 17 and 24 in those, which is to say, you know, they were in, uh, they're tied for six most, most game, uh, clutch games in the whole season when you look at the teams that have played more or played better, like the Celtics played 42 and they were, you know, they were above well above 500 in those games. The Denver Nuggets played 45 clutch games and won 29 of them. Uh, and, and yeah. And, and, you know, the Thunder played 45 and won 30 of them. Um, so, yeah. so let's, let's just tinker a bit with what might've happened. So clutch time games for everybody who, you know, everybody should know this by now, just because we talk about it all the time. Uh, five points. If the margin is within five points, within five minutes left, and so the Mavericks are just really fared poorly. We know that. What happens to the Mavericks if they win five more clutch games this season? So they finish. Uh, if they won five more, they would be twenty-two and nineteen in the clutch, so shade over five hundred, which means you would have added five wins to their win total right now which would put them at 48 wins and and uh 27 losses. I don't know how I I would obviously the fan in me really would have loved to have seen that. But I don't know if that would have been the best thing for the Mavericks long term in the sense of with increased wins comes increased expectations the following year. And the Mavericks are still a team that is building they're in a great place for the future, but they're building. And with those kind of, of you know, uh, incremental or really, I mean, that's a serious jump. They would have gone from 33 wins to 48 wins, which is 15, you know, just if they had played a little bit better in the clutch. I'm just not sure that would have been good for them in the sense of it, it would have hid some of these problems that we have now very clearly identified and i'm sure the mavericks have identified too does that does that take make any sense yeah uh i'm sure you will get someone and i'm sure you will get people in your mentions saying what more wins are bad what the what the fuck is wrong What's with the you? expectations i know, next year I know. suck like what I if know. we that would be terrible because next year is gonna be hard <laughs> yeah next year is gonna be hard full full year zion uh full, full you know another year of, of job morant development the Warriors, and, they yeah, exist. The, yeah, the Warriors do exist. So yeah, uh, yeah, it makes sense because you gotta you gotta have honest evaluations of your talent. And uh, who knows what what if they would have won more games if if that would have been skewed at all? I don't know. I'd like to I would like to think that even if they did win more clutch games and their record was better, that that wouldn't necessarily 
change but from a fan perspective and talking about it definitely would it would make it way more frustrating to talk about the team with fans and other writers and stuff online because things would just get so much more heated because fan expectations would increase so much more and i mean good lord we have already had to go in the comment sections and beat people with sticks talking about how lucas trash after he has like a 35 10 and 15 game so uh it's already trending that way with with certain people um so so yeah i don't know um like i said i'm just i'm excited for this series and i know a lot of people wanted the mavericks to get avoid the clippers and 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 play someone else that they would rather play but like then purpose of all of this is to win a title the mavericks aren't going to win a title unless they find a way to beat a team like the clippers so like regardless of whether they play them in the first round or the second round or the third round it's like they don't go away so winning a playoff series while would have been fantastic like my mindset is like okay well how would they you know how are they going to fare when they eventually meet the team that they have to you know get over the you know kind of climb the mountaintop uh, against and so to me it doesn't really matter if you play the clippers in the first round or the third round like that's what i'm curious about is how do they match up against the elite how do they handle that adversity how do they respond to the challenge and then how does the front office respond to the results of that uh and that to me is extremely fascinating uh even if you know it's a lot of stuff that's out of our control I mean, all of it is, we're just, we're just talking. Sure. Sure. But I'm, I, that's where it, it gets very fun because there's you know, very, very much like a multiverse aspect to the Mavericks coming seasons where they just <laughs> have so many paths they could take, but we should feel very comfortable in the fact that they've, they've got the hard part down. <laughs> you know, when you get the superstar, everything else is secondary, right? Right. And we'll see. I mean, and then this is the part where, I, you know, we talk about big picture and it's it's part of it is reflecting on the context of the Mavericks are way ahead of schedule. And then it's does the team have the honesty to realize that they might need to upgrade two spots in the starting lineup this summer? Maybe that's a bit harsh. You know, do they understand that some of the moves they made last summer uh, did not work out as well as they wanted to? And, and do they? The, that's the thing is like i'm so curious to know if the maverick i don't think they think this but who knows but i'm curious to think if the mavericks think that this is the roster that will get them there and they just need a tweak here or two there or just a little bit more experience from their upper tier guys in terms of luca being more mature in his body and his game even though he's already fantastic at, the, at those aspects as is you know Kristaps being a bit more comfortable, not coming off a rehab season. I, I'm just curious, like, do they, like, do the, do the Mavericks think that the five that they have right now, you know, Luca Curry, Hardaway, Jr., Finney Smith, Perzingis, and then the alternate five, which is Powell in, in place of, of Curry, do they think that's the five? And I don't know. I don't think they think that's going to be the five that gets them to the conference finals and beyond, but who knows? And that's what I'm curious about. Like, do they, are they wanting to see what this series looks like to, to further evaluate that? You know, that's, that's going to be the game going forward for the next two to three off seasons is, you know, where do the Mavericks feel comfortable in terms of this roster and the starting lineup and where do they feel like they have to make a change? And that's going to be the make or break of it. But at the end of the day, they still have Luca and they still have Kristaps. So it can only get so bad because those guys are just so phenomenal. Right. I, I'm going to be very curious to see how the collective fan base, including us, react to 
I mean, the fact that if you consider Luca and and when you really it's it's a fun exercise in like what in the world was happening when you go look at the Mavericks rosters between 2002 and 2011, where particularly once they get to 04, 05, 06, 07, they just start rotating dudes like yep. entire casts of characters until they fa- until they found something that works. And like at the moment, I can't imagine the Mavericks without like Maxi Kleba. Like right. that's a crazy thing to say out loud to a certain extent because he's Maxi Kleba. He's not the superstar. He's a key cog in their success. But the likelihood that these are the, you know, that that any more than two or three of these guys are on the team in five years is pretty high. You know, that's just the way basketball is now. So that's going to be an odd adjustment for me because I've not been super into the teams the past few years. Uh, it's We knew they are building for a superstar and hoping they would get one. But now that they have one, it's just a very different mindset in how you approach kind of fandom. And so that is that's something that I think is is going to be at least worth you know talking about because if if they're gonna if they you know see a path to get better, Donnie Nelson and the Mavericks are going to take it. That's I just have no idea what that path is. That's where I'm very unoriginal and have a hard time compared to some of our friends out there who really love pitching concepts. I just stink at that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, but that's why, like like I said, like it, maybe it would have been more fun to play the Jazz or the Rockets in the first round and and have a competitive series that they could win. But like, I love like when you're the Mavericks, you got like, you gotta at their position that they're in right now as a young team coming into their own. Like I want them to see how they fare against the best of the best. And if that means in the first round, so be it. Like, I just, I'm excited to see how this team responds to that challenge. And I'm excited to see how the front office responds to that as well. And that's, that's kind of the fun of it. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I know there's a lot of doom and gloom about the series and I'm not necessarily uh, too positive in terms of like picking a winner, you know, if the Mavericks can win, but this is what, this is what it's all about. Like uh, I know our friend, former, former boss, Tim Cato at the athletic now has made this point about like kind of the Mavericks and then the, the KD thunder and how they kind of kind of had a measuring stick test their first playoff series against the, a one seed Lakers team and that that Lakers team they pushed them but that Lakers team was better and and how they responded to that kind of set the stage for them to have the success that they had uh, obviously they didn't get all the success they wanted but that was a lot of you know injuries and all this kind of stuff that happens but that's kind of I, I like that for this Mavericks team like I just I want to see how they respond respond to this challenge yeah yeah well, I don't really have much more. I know we're going to be doing a lot of coverage um, in the coming days and weeks. You know, the, the Mavericks play on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. So every other day, which I think benefits uh, their their youth compared to some of the, the thun- or thunder uh, compared to the Clippers. So, so I you know, we're going to be having a lot of posts. We will have a lot of things for, for people to talk about and for people to, to read. Um, I, I, I can't kind of wait to see what our staff comes up with game to game because there's just a lot to take away from these when you have this like games of this impact and i'm gonna be interested to see how we cover it um do you have anything else before we get on out of here no i think that's it and hopefully no one loses their minds this week i don't bet on that (laughs) particularly me all right guys this has been kirk henderson and josh bow with mavs moneyball after dark thank you for subscribing tell your friends like subscribe do all that stuff all right everybody have a good week